Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mindshifters Radio with The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice, along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Thursday, February the 4th, 2016. It is actually day four of our intensive here in Florida, and we have an awesome group. The energy is just amazing. I think we need to double the time, though, because um, there's so much processing going on. But anyway, um, we welcome you to the show. Our call-in number is 646 200 Four one six nine, press one, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. And we welcome everybody. We're honored that you're here to join us and to be part of this bringing into the world the understanding of some of the most ancient healing technology that has been known on planet Earth. A technology that works on an energetic level and therefore impacts every level of being. It is a technology that has sadly been lost or perhaps more accurately hidden. I'm not sure. But We're working as diligently as we can to restore it to you and to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. Our topic this morning in the intensive, we were talking about the the idea that we live in this 50 billion piece universe, just to create an analogy, and that all of humanity through all of time has made up a story about 5,000 pieces of the 50 billion piece universe. And we go around, we think, looking at what's happening out there with not the slightest clue that everything we see is painted on the inside of our eyeballs. And it's not what's happening out there. We live in the universe, Einstein kind of alludes to it in his statement about science when he says, actuality, let me back up, science, he says all of our scientific knowledge when compared with actuality is primitive and childlike. If you actually look up that quote, he actually uses the word reality, but he's using the word reality the way we're using it as actuality. 
So reality is the construct that each of us has in our minds. And that construct, the world of pictures, is internal, and it belongs to us. It belongs to no one else. And when you recognize that the construct, the world that you see, is something that comes from inside of you that creates literally the images and the pictures that you see, then you realize that you're looking through a lens. And Paul said a couple thousand years ago, we see as both through a glass darkly. There's actually a quote that I, oh, I used to use it. Probably goes back. I haven't uh, hadn't thought of it or hadn't used it in probably 25 years. And, oh, a few months ago, I was reminded of it when looking for it and couldn't find it. And uh, this morning, I'm, you know, Asking what are we what are we what are we doing today? What's what's on for today? And all of a sudden, words of that quote so that I could Google it properly came up, and I was able to find it. And the uh, the quote speaks about how we're not seeing outside of ourselves. We're looking through this tiny little window pane that's painted with all kinds of meanings that we've been given by the world because those meanings are plastered on the inside of our eyeballs, we think we're looking out and that they're actually out there. So there's a gentleman named Ludwig von Burton Lamphy, and he's the man who initiated the idea of general systems theory, a whole complex thing. But, But one of the key things that he says, and I think it's just so powerful to recognize because our mind is constructing the world as we see it and we overlay the actual world the 50 500 billion piece world with our 5000 piece story and we think we're actually looking at what's going on out there and have no idea that what we're looking at is totally and completely internal and totally and completely changeable. And that when we allow ourselves to connect with the actual world, when we could collapse, which is what forgiveness does, when we can collapse, then we become available to the 500 billion piece world for it to teach us and to show us what's really going on. So what he says is each worldview is a culturally determined configuration, a highly idiosyncratic personal structuring of experience. It is a perspective of an unknown reality seen through the spectacles of human and cultural and linguistic categories. In other words, we've been structured with certain ways of seeing and we think that the way we see is actually what's going on, when the truth is what's out there is unknown. There is one way that we can reliably establish, however, what the actuality of that 500-piece world is. And that is, if you hold a newborn child, and you tap into the essence of the newborn, you will capture the essence of the actuality. We all start out connected to that essence. We all start out, every one of us, 
in this, you know, you might say from out of the ancient languages, beatific state, this state of ecstasy, connected to this moving, sweet, awesome presence of love, and every cell is being fed and nurtured by that when we start out. And then the world starts to put its thumbprints on us. And we allow ourselves to degrade from feeling out of our connection to the truth of life and the truth of the world to start to feel out of a world of hostility and fear. And once we start to see, feel, and experience from that world, we get conned into thinking that it's, it's the truth. And it is not the truth. It's what we've made up. And a way that you can tell that you're making up something that isn't true is that when you're seeing it, you feel pain, you feel trauma, you feel sadness, rage, guilt, grief, fear, hatred. And the gift that this genius who understood that, who, who lived in connection to a different source than virtually everybody else in his culture, he called that distant, different source his father. And to those who didn't understand what he was talking about, he said, you have a different father than I do. You live in relationship to a liar. You live in relationship with data stored in your mind, and the data stored in your mind gives you a picture of the world that you hold within you as though it's actually outside of you. And he says, there's no truth in that, Father. There's no truth in that source. That's why there's so much pain and suffering there. And just about everybody has been tricked into thinking that's the truth. It was that way 2,000 years ago. And this gentleman named Yeshua comes along, and he explains to those around him that he goes to a different father, and he explains that you too can connect to that father, to that source of perception, to the actuality of what's going on. One of the ways that he says it, and it's a very simple result that he's telling us that we can have. You notice he doesn't say, I come to bring you doctrine, I come to bring you dogma, I come to bring you beliefs, I come to... He says, really simply, I come to bring you life. And life more abundantly. Anyone who is disconnected from that newborn essence of love that they are, that we all are, is in fact dead. How many people do you know? And, and the average person is dead by the age of four. How many people do you know, four, five, ten, twenty, fifty, seventy, or ninety, that when the stress is up and the chips are down, stay in a connected space of love? Sadly, it's pretty rare. And so we bought into hallucinating a world based in hostility or fear, and we think it's outside of us and therefore feel helpless to do anything about it. The truth is it is inside of us, and when we recognize that, 
Then we take this genius piece of technology that this man named Yeshua gave us for having life and having it more abundantly, and we apply the tool of forgiveness. And as you apply the tool of forgiveness, you literally remove the roots of the 5,000-piece story that have been going on on the planet for generations and generations and generations, and you restore it to the truth of who you are. Then, and sometimes, it only comes as a flash for a moment. And it may be a long time before somebody gets back to that connected space again. But if you'll pick up the tools and if you'll do your work, that flash will come, and it will become more and more and more your regular state. It's where we're designed to live. You and I are designed to live as human beings, and human beings are the stuff called love. And the world has degraded all of the words and all of the understandings of how to achieve that. You know, the world hasn't told us that love is what we are, the world has told us that love is something we do to each other, and if we don't have any, we've got to go out and get it from somebody else. Kids made up a song, created a song based on that one a few years back called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places, Looking for Love in Too Many Faces. If you don't take love with you into relationship, if you don't take the awareness of your active presence of being with you, you're not going to find it there. You may find some sensation that you become addicted to to keep you from feeling what's going on inside of you, but you won't find love there. Free yourself from the generations of hostility and fear. You know, that, that story about the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years? And you think about that one, and how does a bright group of people like that get lost in a 30-square-mile area for 40 years? That just doesn't make any sense. What they're talking about is a group of people who were designed to live in relationship to love and gave that up and went into unconscious fear, guilt, grief, rage, trauma, trauma. And you'll notice in that story, if you read it in the ancient scriptures, they give the exact way to get out of that state that was called the desert or the unconscious. It says the old generation has to die off. And that doesn't mean that everybody in old physical bodies has to physically die. The root of the word generations, genari, it means cause. The causes you hold in you for fear, guilt, grief, rage, drama, or trauma have to be forgiven, have to be removed from you in order for you to be free of them. And of course, we're here to supply you with and support you in using the technology for doing it. And if you haven't engaged yet in the forgiveness process, then we invite you to go to our website, whyagain.org. And if you scroll down the page a little bit, you'll see a red and white bullseye. And if you click on that, a whole story of how to use forgiveness will be given to you. Free, please take it, use it, pass it on on a global scale. That's what we're here to share with you. And we're honored and delighted that we get that opportunity. Jean, do we have Dr. Tim with us today? We do. Well, let's say hello to the young man. Sir, how do you be? I'm doing quite well, thank you. Getting stronger by the day. Yay! And um, enjoying the intro as usual and thinking about the 
the various ways to talk about this process and how deeply the conditioning goes in our culture. Um, lots and lots of people for thousands of years have known what you're talking about in the intro and how we're we're all creating a false reality. It's just not a large percentage of the population at any given time that understands that. But the more reading I do, the more research I do, the more it's been around for thousands of years. It's it, The more it's clear to me that it's been around for thousands of years. And yet in a single 18 or 19 year lifetime, the way we can condition a person to believe the falsehoods that what they see when they open their eyes is what's outside of them and that other people are causing their upset, it's uh, its amazing to me. I just had a an 18-and-a-half-year-old in my office who's absolutely convinced that everyone and everything around him is causing his pain and his anxiety and his fear. And, and it's just... It's, it's phenomenal how strong that belief is. And, um, you know, his only kind of saving grace at this stage in the game is he's intelligent and he's inquisitive. And he's curious about philosophy and he's curious about psychology. And so he's potentially open to exploring some of those dogmas and beliefs. But it, I was just just amazed at the power of the conditioning today with this bright, inquisitive 18-year-old. And, um, of course, we know it wasn't just the conditioning he got from this lifetime. He probably inherited it from both sides of his family line for quite a while back. And yet it's in in full-blown glory to be observed in this 18-year-old already that everybody else around me is causing my pain and my anxiety and my anger. And it's, and, I, and, and I'm a victim. I just go said, ahead, and I'm a victim. So, so go ahead. I just said, and I'm a victim was his his line. Right. Well, and isn't it awesome that at 18 and a half he gets to talk to you and get some tools and not have to carry on? I mean, I, I don't, I don't know anybody who didn't buy that story. That, and, and and I agree with you. It always amazes me when I see how deeply. People are brainwashed by the cultural fear and terror and hatred and vengeance, and and it, and it amazes me how once somebody's convinced to believe that stuff, it's it's quite a challenge to break loose of it. I mean, you can brainwash people and culture people in a way that that they'll believe anything they're given, and and of course because of the way the mind works, once they believe it. The mind shows them evidence that it's true, so it just sort of reinforces the whole game. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting. It's almost when you really think about it, it's so tricky that it's almost classic Satanism. Is that a pause for drama? That was a pause <laughs> for Tim. Well, did you say classic Satanism? Yes, classic Satanism. You look at the old idea of Satanism, Satan, 
which of course in Aramaic means the resistor, one who misleads, which is exactly what it is. We're misled into believing lies. But you look at, you know, the classic idea of Satan and, you know, he's, he's tricked everybody. And and the biggest trick is that the problem's outside of us. And then we got to watch for that dude out there with the red suit, the tail and the pitchfork, when in fact in Aramaic Satan is an internal dynamic of, you know, uh, being misled and being in resistance to looking at truth. How was your uh, your 18-year-old in terms of resistance and hearing that, gee, maybe I've got something to do with my pain? Did he, did he seem to have an opening for that? Well, I think there there is somewhat of an opening, and there's also tremendous resistance. I mean, he he, cool. he actually said in the middle of the session, w- with an apology to me, that he was having great difficulty with this because... It's it's challenging what he believes and what what he's. I mean, in order to get out of the mess I'm in, I have to be willing to question everything I think I know. I have to look at it and say what I what I think I know. If there's a chance for me to be happier, then what I think I know now must either be only partly true or completely false. If it isn't then there's no chance for me to be happier than I am right now because if I already know everything and I'm this unhappy, where is there to go? For sure. It's quite a trap, isn't it? Indeed it is. And, you know, the it's like we're kind of, at least at this stage, we're at the pinnacle of being brainwashable. The technology they've got it's there to perpetuate the story. You know, the true living color and Dolby sound and 4K sharp, clear images of how it's done to us and how it's all their fault and how all we have to do is fight back and and war. And I mean, the whole thing is just, it's such an amazing, amazing brainwash. So Jeannie, do you have anybody there with a hand up that has a question for us? Of course, our call-in number if you have a question for us, if this makes sense to you or doesn't, we'd love to hear from you. If we can support you in in understanding how to use the tools, that's what we're here for. Our call-in number, if you're on the uh, in the chat room uh, and uh, you'd like to talk with us or you're on one of those stations that we can't see in our uh, archives, our call-in number is 646-200-4169. See? Everything's quiet in the chat room and nobody with a hand up. Well, then... If you push one, if you're in the phone queue right now and you push one, then you're there for a question. You're you're first in line. You don't even have to wait. We'll just see. You'll just click you right in. If um, if Dr. Tim, if I were in your hometown at the local library presenting these ideas, or the local university or local church, and you were sitting in the audience, you'd have a question for him or for me or both of us. We got down off the stage. You'd walk over and say, "But Michael, what about or Dr. Tim? That doesn't or so that's what we're here for. We're here to hear those questions. And sometimes people feel like, well, you know, my questions. I don't know much about this. My questions kind of primitive and basic, so I probably shouldn't ask it. We would appreciate it if you'd ask it, because oftentimes people who are stuck, who they've plateaued in their work, it's because they're missing a basic piece. So sometimes those. Uh, basic questions repeated are most important 
for sometimes the most advanced people at the work because it opens another space. So we'd love to hear from you. Call in number 646-200-4169. If you push one, you are in the phone queue. And it looks like we don't have any hands up, so then let's look at, uh, we'll talk a little bit about where we're going with the uh, the intensive um, today. We, we actually are in this is the beginning of day four. We did our first session this morning. We'll have another two yet today. And uh, we are getting ready to go into the why is this happening to me again workshop. We've just We've just gotten through the evaluations and the uh, looking at the worksheet for when I heal, what my healing process is going to look like. And we're getting ready to start the Y workshop at 3 o'clock this afternoon. If you happen to be in the Orlando area, you'd be welcome to come over and join us. That's always a free open workshop. And uh, we're going to look at this understanding of how the mind works, how the mind interacts with the body, what the connection is, what the the cause is and what the effect is. And then in particular, we're going to look at how do you collapse the brainwash. And this is what forgiveness is. It's just so masterful when you look at it and so backward compared to what the world has um, brainwashed us with that when I engage in first century Aramaic forgiveness, what happens is that having touched the mainspring of my perception, I can collapse my perception. And when I collapse my perception, I make my mind available to the 50 or the 500 billion piece world to teach me. As long as I think I know and I'm holding tight to what I believe, then I'll get to keep seeing evidence of what I believe. And In fact, the world is a world of make-believe. First you make it up, then you believe it, and then you go out and produce evidence that it's true. And someone who holds, as you talk about him with this young man, you know, well, it's all their fault. And they'll only ever see the only evidence that will gain admittance to their perceptual constructs will be the evidence that proves that it's all somebody else's fault. That kind of uh, doubles the uh, the difficulty of cleaning up the mess because it looks just so real when we're told that that's the way it is. So perception can, and sadly at this point rarely, comes from thinking. Perception can come from the guidance that we get through the higher mind of the human and of the universe, where most people's perception comes from, the data that's stored in their minds. And their minds are stored in their bodies. And so that database that is stored in your physiology is continuously filling the mind with information based upon what it's been brainwashed into believing. When you engage in the tool of forgiveness, what happens is that collapses, and when it collapses, you become available to a larger mind, and you actually enter into a zone where you're capable of actually thinking rather than cycling information, which is what most people do, and they think they're thinking. 
You know, if I say don't think about the color of your car, you know, most people in the audience, when I say don't think about the color of your car, when I say, well, what are you doing? They'll say, I'm thinking about the color of my car. It's like, no, you're not. That's just information cycling in your awareness. If I hit a middle C tuning fork on a desk and I put it in front of a second middle C tuning fork, the second tuning fork without being touched will start to vibrate. Is the second tuning fork thinking? No. When I say don't think about the color of your car, all it is is vibration. It's all just an exchange of energy that's driving the process. There's no thinking involved. And in fact, there is, I don't remember who the author is, but there's a book out there called No Thinking Allowed. So people go from one brainwashed thought to another, to another, to another, to another, as um, that quote I, I used earlier, cultural perspectives, looking out on an unknown world and making it up like we know what it is. When we can collapse that, again, which is what forgiveness does, then our mind becomes available to be a place where the creator's mind or the mind of love can start to write meaning. And when it writes meaning, we will feel consistent with that meaning instead of the meaning that we've been writing all the while while through our brainwash. And it takes great learning to step into the willingness to let go of the brainwash and faith everything that's in the structure. So that's what our workshop this afternoon will be about, and then we'll be jumping into... uh, codependence to interdependence and start to move through looking at one of the major sources of the brainwash is one, our genetics that come to us through our bloodline and two, our power person which is usually a parent someone who has moral power over our lives than we do and we perceive the situation as a survival situation i.e. without this person feeding me or housing me or taking care of me, I wouldn't be able to live. And so that opens a space for us to be available for the brainwash that comes. And then once we're locked in the brainwash, the world has told us how to solve all of our problems. And and I call those the pseudo-solutions of the non-being mind. The number one being, if I could just figure this out. You look at people in their dilemma and virtually everyone's just sitting around trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out and figure it out. You can't figure it out. But if you have the tool of forgiveness, you can collapse it. And when you collapse it, then you can be taught by a mind that is much more comprehensive than you are exactly what's going on and exactly what to do about it. But you've got to become available to that mind. And if your body's mind is filling the space continuously, then it's difficult to come into awareness. One of the signals that your body's mind is filling the space is there's defensiveness, there's hostility, there's fear, and there's always the belief that it's somebody else's fault. And somebody else that we may be blaming is ourselves sometimes. But when assigning blame and fault for things, You'll notice the reality measure worksheet's a no-fault process, no-fault forgiveness. It's simply an energetic pattern that if we collapse into it and bring the active presence of love with us, then the hostility and fear-based mind begins to dissolve. And as it dissolves, you get free of it. 
when enough people get free of a dynamic because enough people have stepped in to do a piece of work, it opens an energy window for everybody on the planet stuck in that dynamic to get free of it. Now, kinks aren't necessarily going to like that because there are certain things that you and I have been brainwashed with that keep us under control of the king, believing in kings. I mean, who told us we should have kings? Who told us that we should be governed? Think about that for a minute. Who told you that? Oh, well, you have to. Why do you have to? Who says you have to? Well, who would take care of the roads? The people who we hire to take care of the roads. That's who would. But do they need to rule your life? Do they need to be governor over you? Where do we get this brainwash? Where do we get this stuff? Wake up time. Wake up time. Jeannie tells me you've got a caller. Let's say hello to our caller. Air code 954, you're on the air. Give us a name. Where are you calling from? Hi, Michael. It's Monica Wilson calling. How are you? Well, hey, young lady. I am doing very well. How about you? Well, I'm doing good. Um, My stomach not so great. I've been nauseous and throwing up the past few days, but I'm better now. And uh, I had a lady come in today who was helping me out. It was around the house with food. And uh, we sat down at one point. She finished what she was doing. And we were talking about the difference between Greek forgiveness and true forgiveness. And we were talking about the Aramaic. I I have that that page with the translations for the Beatitudes. And I shared that with And uh, it was stuff she'd never been exposed to before. So we had quite the conversation. And uh, I was really glad. I've been bringing this up to other friends, and they've kind of dismissed it at this point. But that's fine. You know, I'll keep bringing it up, and they'll they'll pick up on it. But uh, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, there are people out there who uh, they're willing to hear something that they hadn't heard before. What an awesome gift to give somebody who's stuck in the brainwash of the culture. You know, just... You take that the the attitudes. I remember the first time that I sat down with the the Enlightenment book and I wrote it out longhand. And, you know, when I was a kid, I was taught the Beatitudes were kind of this nice philosophy, and I wrote it out. And then just, you know, something triggered in me, but I didn't really have a handle on it. And about, I don't know, three months later, I, I sat down with the book and I translated it again longhand. It's an awesome exercise to do. And then the third time, which was probably, if I remember correctly, I'm not sure I do, but it was probably about a year later that I was inclined to sit down and do it again. And the third time, it was like all of a sudden, click. Oh, my God, this is a set of instructions. This is a how-to. This isn't about a nice philosophy. And and to just give people that set of how-to instructions and and for those who might not be familiar, and there is a copy of it on the website. You can go to the Beatitudes, the poster. You know, the the first word in each of the Beatitudes we're told in the in the uh, Greek oriented world that the first words have got something to do with somebody or something outside of you blessing you if you do what they tell you to do. So the first words we're told say, "Blessed are they," and you know, these have got to be pretty important words because Yeshua uses these words over and over and over again. And and this is his first public teaching. So he, this is like his lead step 
he comes out with the Beatitudes. And the first word in each of the Beatitudes in Aramaic is tuehun. And tuehun is a three-part word that has nothing to do with being blessed. But what it says in Aramaic is that inside of us, there is a neural structure to guide us to happiness and well-being, and that neural structure is unconscious. It is latent. And it's latent because there's been garbage laid over top of it. And the Beatitudes give us the instructions for how to uncover that and make that neural, that guidance system our conscious possession. So when you break that word tulihun down, yeah. a latent neural structure implanted by the creator to guide you to happiness and well-being becomes your conscious possession. You who, and then each of the Beatitudes is instruction. I mean, to me, handing that to somebody, Monica, is just such an awesome gift to open the space for, even for them to start to conceive of it. It'll probably take some time before they can really comprehend it, but it's like, wow, what a... What a life-changing piece of information. So that's awesome. I'm delighted that you're doing that. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. She, I just needed it for myself, actually, to. That's why I instigated the conversation. And I felt better after we had that conversation. And she'll be coming back on a regular basis, a few times each week. So uh, I can keep talking with her and keep sharing it. See where that goes. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, you know, if there comes a point where uh, where it's appropriate to introduce the uh, wake up sheet, that'd be another awesome gift to give her, and, and uh, keep us posted on uh, on how uh, receptive she is to it. That's, that's that fabulous. Is. And of course, you can always hand her the phone number for the radio show and invite her to join us and and ask questions if, if parts of it don't make sense to her. To ask questions, we just uh, love the interaction with uh, with folks to uh, to bring these ideas forward and bring them forward in as crisp and clear a way as we possibly can. Okay. Uh, can you today it was just we covered a lot, so I think it was a bit much to add anything more, but I can definitely do that on uh, um, the next time I talk to her. Sure. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, you know we're in we're in intensive right now, and I, I just came upstairs. Our room in the uh, the house that we rented is upstairs, and and uh, someone was just saying, and the intensive was saying, "Thank you for for what you're giving us. It's just so awesome." And uh, the last words that I said as I walked back into my room, uh, as I you know, said, "You're welcome," was, and we teach best that which we most need to learn. So here we are. <laughs> And as you teach it, you get to learn on a whole other level. And, you know, that's that's the way I became a full-time student of it. I, I recognize in my own life and my own inertia that chances are I wouldn't be having anything to do with this way of thinking or using the tools if I had not chosen to teach them. It would have been something that was a blip in my life and probably would have been gone and I'd been back to uh, to what my brainwash said the world was about. So. So I recognize the value of uh, of having chosen to teach it. So you will get more and more value as you share it with others and teach it on deeper and deeper levels. And of course, we hold the space for your full healing and uh, moving forward in aliveness and joy. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate all that you do. And you are most you. welcome. 
you and Jeannie a very blessed day today. All right, lots of love. Appreciation. 646-200-4169 is our calling number. Do you have a thought, question for us? How can we support you? Maybe a story to share about what's happening in your world, in your life? Then we'd love to hear from you. And, of course, if you're in the chat room and you can't write in the chat room, it's because you're not a member of Blog Talk yet. It's a really simple sign-up process. They're very private. We've never heard of any abuse of the, uh, the email addresses. When you do register with them, they take care of them really well. And uh, so if you aren't signed up yet but you're in the chat room listening, you know, unfortunately you can only listen, but uh, just go through and do the simple sign-up process and you can you know, type and, uh, and ask questions in from the chat room. And we're here to answer those questions and to create support for how do we bring this forward to every mind, heart, and being on planet Earth. Okay, I have, um, I'm putting mute you there for a second. Um, I have a question that came in as a text to me, and they want to know, it's on neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. Is it good, does it work, or should it be avoided? I think that the, uh, it was a gentleman named Bandler and Grindler, two, two psychologists who created the uh, process and uh, neuro-linguistic programming, and I think it's something that can be helpful as long as you stay conscious. Uh, It is a way of rearranging information in the mind, and, you know, the mind was meant to be a servant. If it's your master, you go back to Yeshua, and he gives us a parable about the, the master bound by the servants in his own household. If we are bound by the mind, and that is the mind and the emotions, then it runs us. And I think that some of the NLP material can be good material to help to rearrange the servant and put it more into servant status. And in my awareness, there is no concept there of the main tool that I think is the core of everything, and that is the forgiveness tool, the the way to collapse perception and drop into the hidden parts of the mind so that they be, can be cleaned of their hostility and fear. So I think it's a, you know, it's another good tool. And make sure that you do, if you know, if you're going to do training or whatever in that regard, my, my thought would be that you make sure you do the training that the training doesn't do you. Because rearranging information in the mind while useful and can become a stepping stone, isn't the end-all and the be-all. That would be my take on it. Dr. Tim, are you familiar with NLP? Do you have any thoughts in that regard? Yes, I would say that uh, like every other very powerful tool, it has the the possibility of being used for good and the not-so-good. And, you know, one of the primary ways most people come into contact with the the acronym NLP is um, a lot of people find it in business settings, and in business settings it's used. Uh, they teach salespeople how to get access to the signs people give off about their communication style and their patterns in thinking and where they're retrieving memories from, and then use that to close a sale. And in my opinion, that's not. Uh, on the up and up. That's not 
dealing consciously with somebody and telling them what you know and telling them what they're showing you. And so I would say that's a not so good use for the NLP techniques. If NLP is being used by someone for their own self-discovery or by a therapist in a trusted, confidential relationship with a person, it can be a very powerful tool to reveal, much like the the, the concept of, um, you know, you... Uh, what's our projection communication? No, help me out. What what is what is my responsibility communication? No, no. The, the, where my I watch my speech. Oh, uh, regulatory speech. Yes. Regulatory speech. Much as the way regulatory yes. speech can help reveal to me the content of my unconscious mind, neurolinguistic programming is another set of tools that can reveal to me how I'm processing and where I might be stuck and what I might need to do to get unstuck from a certain pattern of thought that I might not be consciously aware of. So it can be a very powerful tool used for good good ends and, and good ethical results and not so good. Yeah, that would be my take. And that's kind of where I'm saying if you're going to do it, make sure you do it and it doesn't do you. There are a lot of people who it just becomes another piece. You know, a lot of things that they look at and learn and study just becomes another piece of the cultural brainwash as opposed to, you know, we're looking to not wash, do brainwashing, but brain cleaning, cleaning of its insanity. And, and let's get to where our minds are capable of storing, or pardon me, of um, incarnating our human lives, our true humanity, which is love. And that's the goal. That's the aim for sure. Well, and because it's, it's so powerful a tool, it's a very tempting um, trap for people who aren't feeling very empowered. And and a lot of people use tools like that. NLP isn't the only one. Hypnosis is another one for trying to gain control over a situation or an interaction with another person. And when anything is used like that, it's all a trap anyway, and everybody's getting trapped. The person who thinks they're in control is getting trapped, and the person who thinks they've given up control is getting trapped. So just as Michael said, make sure you're centered and you're in a a fully comfortable, open, respectful relationship with somebody, and you trust everything about them before you start learning a tool like that from them or letting them use a tool like that on you. Respect is 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 of the utmost importance. Yeah, I agree with that one. And Jeannie tells us we've got a caller. Well, it's actually not a caller, but um, we didn't have a hand up. So first of all, Art, I hope that that answered your question. I sent him a text and told him that... Uh, it, it was on the show about 40 minutes in, so hopefully he'll listen to the archive again and he'll get his answer on that. I just wanted to share in the chat room, you know, the other day um, someone said that they had been doing wake-up sheets in their sleep, and and uh, we have someone in there today, Light, and she says uh, yesterday she was processing in her dreams and she had the most intense scream of release into the infinite and when she woke up, that she felt like a whole new person. So that is absolutely awesome. And then since nobody else is calling in, one of the conversations we had in the um, morning session that I heard with different ears was when you described how a generator works, 
with the energy going around the wire or whatever and inducing the energy and then compared that to us as beings that we are love going through the field of love and then that resonated some questions about how can we be separate but yet be one. And so I think that's a that was an awesome conversation. We've got about 11 minutes. If you could address that again. Sure. Good one. So the, the, the point we were focusing on in the intensive here was that, you know, if you hold a newborn, you get to experience what a human life is, and that's the truth of who we are, and that we're designed to feel our whole lives long out of that state and out of that space. We're designed to be connected to that literal physiological ecstasy of the presence of love in every cell of our structure. But we come in as that, and the world starts to put its thumbprint on us, its rages, its guilt, its griefs, its pain, its trauma, its trauma, its hatred, its vengeance. And when we bite into those energetic dynamics, then we shut down awareness of what was called the still small voice. You know, here we are moving through space at about 7,000 miles an hour. So we're told. And when you take two structures that have a similar atomic magnetic structure and they interact at that speed, one sets up a field that is induced by the, in, uh, that induces an energy flow, a literal current flow in the secondary field. So uh, an example that I use this morning is a generator in a car or an alternator. How does that work? We have motion. How do you turn motion into electricity? That seems like quite a mystery. Well, what happens is that if you take, if you think of any generator you've ever seen, there are a number of windings of wire. And so when we wind that wire around an iron core and then we hook it up to the motion of the engine, which is spinning, and we start spinning that piece of wire in a magnetic field, what happens is the motion of the wire through the field causes, you know, if, if you imagine that you, uh, let's say you, uh, you went out and there was a, a weeping willow tree and you had in your hand a whip and you whipped the tree through the weeping willow, what would happen? Those fine branches coming down would wrap around the whip. Well, in exactly the same way, when the wire of your alternator that's wound inside your alternator is moving through the magnetic field that is part of what makes up the alternator, it wraps the magnetic field around the piece of wire. And what happens when you wrap a magnetic field around a piece of wire going high speed is it causes an energy to flow. It's called induction. It induces a flow of energy. So you get enough of these windings moving in this magnetic field, and all of a sudden you've got 12 volts to run your lights from the fact that the motor's running. So it's induction. So here we are moving as love in resonance with, you know, what the ancient teachings told us, in him, love, we live, move, and have our being. And so moving at 7,000 miles an hour through this energy field of love literally induces a very subtle current in every cell of the body. And that subtle current is the current of love that we're designed to feel from. But 
it was called because it is a very minute current it was called the still small voice so every cell in your structure right now i don't care if you are in the deepest rage cancel the thought you've ever been in every cell in your structure is moving the energy of love through it if you've got this big loud noise of rage or fear or guilt or grief or drama or trauma of any kind that becomes so overwhelming and so loud that the subtler energy is not heard nobody ever loses the presence of that love in their cells it is always there you can't get rid of it but you can override it with the noise of rage and fear and pain and what have you so As you remove the noise, the generational noise of hostility and fear from your structure, as you, through forgiveness, what happens is the only thing left is this still small voice that is ecstasy producing. And I'm saying ecstasy, not with the drug ecstasy, but literally, physiologically, that presence of love is an ecstatic experience. And so when you get trillions of cells who, because you've removed the noise of hostility and fear from those cells, are now able to come to awareness of that subtle current flowing through them, they're restored to their original state of ecstasy. And, you know, you've heard the mystics refer to it as nirvana. And, you know, and the mystics are people who withdraw from the culture's brainwash. They're oftentimes outcast because they don't support the the current games. You know, if the king says, well, what we need to do is go kill somebody and take their property because they're bad guys, the mystic says, excuse me, I don't live in your brainwash. That's stupid. That's silly. That's illegal. That's immoral. You need to go to prison until you can change your mind about that one. That person becomes outcast because, of course, the king's money buys legislatures, it buys businesses, it buys opinions, it buys opinion makers, it buys universities, it buys research, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, the mystic isn't usually very well received, but the mystic is basically one who's living in constant contact or at least semi-constant contact with the presence of love in them. And they have their perceptions formed not out of the cultural indoctrination but they have their perceptions formed out of the presence of love in them in in the ancient teachings you know you hear paul talking about christ in you your hope of glory that's what they were talking about. he says you know to be of like mind with christ that's not a religious idea it just means when you live out of the active presence of love then you have guidance that comes from literally the same mind that guided the man named Yeshua 2,000 years ago. It is the mind in which we live, move, and have our being. And it is one, you know, a countless number of times more powerful, more satisfying, more joyful, more giving, more enlivening, more empowering. I I can't say enough words. I could go through every constructive word in the dictionary. It's a thousand times more that than anything you'll ever get, any reward you'll ever get from a king. 
or all the king's horses and all the king's men. It's just, you know, it's a different place to live. And so what we're looking to do is to create a body of work that becomes so available that everybody's able to go, wow, I've got a choice. I can stop living in this fear and rage and guilt. I can stop funding war and murder and prisons and punishment. And I can actually start to bring healing and live as the presence of love. How cool is that? Like, who doesn't have that in their true purpose? If we've been indoctrinated by the hostility and fear, that's not very available. So when you begin to collapse the indoctrinated mind, then what's left? And, and sometimes, you know, when people first start doing worksheets and collapse that, you know, it's almost like sometimes you can see their, their bodies kind of do a little jiggle, and they're like, whoa, what was that? And then they go on, like nothing happened. <laughs> but if you continually, consistently, persistently do your work, that touching in perhaps only for a fraction of a second before the hostility and fear-based mind rushes back in to fill the space, if you continue to do your work, there'll come a point where you'll taste it, you'll love it, and you won't go back. There are going to be people who won't like that. There are going to be people who want you to be in their hostility and fear-based world. There are going to be people who want you to come to the coffee clutch and gossip about whoever isn't there. There are going to be people who want you to join with them in conning other people and stealing and, you know, whatever. And... If one consistently and persistently uses a tool of forgiveness, they'll move in the direction of living from that still small voice. People around them will be called call them mystics because they won't understand. You know, there's a point where Paul once again refers to this. It's interesting, Paul's such a dichotomy because he didn't know how to get there in the end result. He did a lot of work to, to try. But he says, why is it the things I would do I cannot do and the things I hate are what I do? He's trapped in the brainwash. But at the same time, he has an experience where he says, whether in or out of the body, I knew not, for I saw things I could not utter. When you can collapse the brainwash mind often enough and long enough, what's waiting for you is absolute, total, beatific ecstasy. It's where you're designed to live. And that's what we're here to support you with. And as you do that, you will absolutely create the best year yet of your eternal life, and we're here to be part of it. We appreciate the opportunity to have you with us. Take care and blessings. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. Evolving continuously.